Welcome to the Rider Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. Dead men are heavier than broken hearts. And Larry Korea. Send a heartbeat to the void that cries through you. Relieve the pictures that have come to pass. Today's episode beginnings. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Rider Dojo. I always get a kick out of seeing what Larry's going to come up with for his for his rando quotes. Okay, to be fair, this episode we're talking about beginnings, talking first about chapters. Beginnings. Hence, the beginning is the, the beginning is the end is the beginning. It's like yeah. I had to channel my inner Billy Corgan, and yeah. I can't sing. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, and I always approve because I, I I really really actually like old school Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. Um. All right. Today. We're going to talk about first chapters, and and this comes about because we had a question uh, during our Q and A from Jason, who was talking about starting a book. Um, you know, how do we how do we get into that book? How do we make that that opening scene or, or chapter, or whatever, seem important? Uh, and then, in addition to this, uh, I was in Chris Rocchio's group the other day, his Facebook group, and someone asked this very question, asking about well. First chapters, I, I just, I feel like I, I don't know where to start with this. Mm. Now, this is a little weird for me because first chapters for me, that's the easier part of the whole process for me. Because that's usually the thing that you're enthusiastic that's about. the thing I'm excited about. When the process starts. Yep, and we've talked about that before. So, all right, but first chapters, Larry, are insanely important. Super important. First chapter, first paragraph, first line. You, you know, gotta, these are super stinking important. You got to hook them fast. Yep. You got to establish dominance. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get that reader in the position you want. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going a little Brazilian jiu-jitsu on our readers here. Okay, but what I'm saying, guys, is... Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> No, no, we weren't, this is not the romance episode. Um, okay, what I'm saying here, guys, is the beginning is super important. You got to hook them. This is your chance to get them at the beginning, because if you don't get them at the beginning, you're not going to get them at all, especially if you're trying to sell the book through traditional publishing. Those slush readers are only going to read the very beginning of the book, maybe a few lines, and if yeah. they don't like it, you go, you're done. So when, so I did a little bit of work for Joshua Bilmes, who's Brandon Sanderson's agent, he was talking to me a little bit about how, how the whole process worked. And you, I was super curious about it, and I knew Joshua. And, and I really wanted to understand how it worked. And for a minute, I, I, I considered actually becoming a literary agent. This was, this was something that I strongly considered. And so Joshua was kind of putting me through the ringer to see if, if I was actually built for that. Uh, I'm not. And, well, you have uh, a soul. I have a soul. It, man, that <laughs> stuff is it's freaking tough sledding, being an agent. Um, so what he did is he sent me 200 query letters. He just sent them to me in this giant packet. And he said, okay, read all of them. Now tell me which ones you would reject. Tell me which ones you would actually want to see a partial manuscript on. Um, these were just query letters from reading the query letter. I could tell who I, I actually cared about just from their writing. Then he sent me a whole box of partial manuscripts. I mean, dozens of partial manuscripts. I knew within two, three paragraphs if I wanted to keep reading. Yep. Now, if, and most of the time it was because the, the story started quick 
I understood the stakes very, very soon. If not the first line within, you know, two paragraphs, I understood the stakes of this scene, this story, what's going on. Yep. And then uh, the only few exceptions were if there was just something about the person's prose that just dragged me in. They just got so his hooks a hook, in me. It was just not a traditional hook. Not a traditional hook. But in general, it was almost always the traditional hook. It, it was something that, you know, it was, oh, this guy's breaking into a jail. Uh, oh, this guy, um, you know, if, if it's a noir film, it's, you know, it's someone saying, um, I need you to find my husband. Yeah. You know, it, you, you know immediately there's that a, there's some there's stakes. There's a reason that you care enough to keep going. Yep. Now, once you get them hooked for five or six pages, you got them. Yeah, you're pretty much okay. You're good. So that's the first chapter. Um, I'm going to use an example. Um, so there's the Bayon Fantasy Awards. Yeah. Uh, the Short Story Awards. And I had somebody who got angry at me on Facebook one day about that. It was actually really interesting to me because he didn't understand this. Because he had sent in a story to, and I was not a judge this year. I have, but I have been a judge in previous years. Uh, I think you were back in what, 16 or 17? Yeah, I've done it a couple of times. Yeah. And like the last time I did it was me and Eric Flint, you mm-hmm. know, and were the, because they usually would have a bunch of like the people from the publishing house and then they would have, um, <clears throat> they would have some other, uh, some of the authors, uh, experienced authors and they would have like a group of like six or eight people who were the judges. And the way we tell people this is like, those are the judges or these famous writers and editors, right? But the thing is, before it got to us, it was it would go through basically a slush pile where, because we would get hundreds and hundreds of short story submissions. So many. And so I remember one point, like one of the years I was doing it was when Christopher Rocchio was still working at uh, Bayon. And Christopher right. was a very sharp guy. And so Christopher was the guy who got assigned to go through hundreds. Of, I think this last year was like Jason Cordova. It was, was Jason. Yeah, I was talking yeah. with him the other day about that. And so, so it's the thing is we got these guys that are like younger, but very experienced, <clears throat> I mean, experienced for their age or experienced for their experience level, authors, editors who are going through and they're like, then they're picking out the best and kicking them up to us. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and the guy was mad. He was offended and because he got rejected really fast. He got rejected out of that first thing. So he didn't go to the final, however many, I, I think it was like supposed to be 10. And I think I went up reading like 20, you know, Yeah, that sounds right. Kind of thing. And he was mad because he's like, well, how come you guys didn't read? I was like, well, you didn't hook the slush reader. He's like, but the slush reader is not the judge. It's like, well, here's. Oh, they are the they judge. They are the judge. Here's the kicker. What makes you think that a guy like Christopher Rocky or Jason Cordova, who are experienced writers, know what they're doing, know what they're looking for, know all the fundamentals that the judges are going to care about, are going to. What makes you think that those guys are going to give you a pass? And then Larry Correa or Eric Flint are, 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 are basically, what makes you think that those guys are going to reject you, but Larry Correa or Eric Flint or David Weber uh, are going to look at that and say, oh, well, this, the, you know, this is great. No, we're worse. Yeah, you we're guys are far worse. You guys are way meaner. We're way meaner. Sorry. So if you can't make it past Rocky or Cordova, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to. Go for it. And so I was, and I can say, honestly, is the, the stories that I read each year I was a judge for the contest, they were all good. They, every single one was good. And, and what inevitably happened each year was we would wind up narrowing it down to basically four or five that were the top. And then we would wind up arguing about it mm-hmm. for a week <laughs> while well, well, it kind of percolated. And each time we'd all have like a different ranking of how we rank those. And then Tony Weisskopf would make the final decision, which 
is perfectly reasonable because believe me, she knows a lot more about this than I do. Yeah. And when you got guys like me and Eric Flint saying, oh yeah, Tony's smarter than we are, we're backing off and you know. But once again, it's all about that hook. It's all about getting in there. It's all about giving me a reason to care. Yep. When when I read the, the general principle for hooking me in a first chapter is the same as hooking me for a short story. The general principle is the same. And that's that within the first little bit, I mean, we're talking first couple lines, first, you know, couple paragraphs at the most. And again, same for uh, short fiction as for long fiction. I need to know, like you said, why I should care. I need to know, I need to know the character. Uh, even if it's just one little touch point item, I don't need to know their whole life story. Um, you know, if I'm writing a, you know, if I'm writing gritty space cop, um, I need to know that this guy is basically the last honest cop in this area. That's there, all I need to know. There needs to be a clue to the theme of the book mm-hmm. or not, not just theme, but the vibe of the book, I should say. So, so not specific as a theme, but it's like the general, the general atmosphere of it. It needs to have something there that's going to tell you what you're in store for. And, um, example of this is when you're watching a horror movie, there's always the, be- like, it's a stereotype. It's a trope. At the beginning of the horror movie, it'll give you a hint to what the monster is and usually be some throwaway character who stumbles into the woods and gets eaten real fast in the first five minutes. And then it goes to the real characters. Yeah, it's this very common in horror stuff and in detective thrillers. Oh, yeah, because what, what do most detective thrillers open with? We discovered the body. Yeah, the, you, you see some shadowy death of a star litter or whatever. And then, but the main opening scene right after that is the detective shows up on scene. Yep. Right. And, and, and you're like, oh, okay, what's going on? Super common for a reason. The reason horror movies do that, the reason detective shows do that, usually in a sci-fi, there will be some sort of clue as to like the theme of the world. Uh, after the break, I'll go through some of my own opening chapters. Mm-hmm. I think I do pretty good at this. You do well. I I would argue that that the beginning of of MHI is one of the better beginnings that you've. Uh, for, well, it might be a, the best beginning you've ever done for a uh, as far as opening lines for a debut novel. I owe my career to the opening of Monster Hunter International. Heck yeah. Um, because I, I for a debut novel, I think I probably got the best debut novel opening there is. It's dope. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's others out there that are excellent too, but I think that one really is up there. And, uh, I could talk about that, that some more, but honestly, guys, the, the, the big kicker is you got a, when I say vibe, you're giving them the vibe. The example I'm use is a, is a negative one because this is one of the things that hosed John Brown, who we talked about oh, before. John is yeah. a great guy. Remember, you remember the story of this? I remember. Uh, yeah. I, okay, was so, ne- I was neck deep in this. I was one of his, his first readers. Okay. So John Brown, excellent, excellent fantasy author, does Servant of a Dark God. Servant of a Dark God, I mean, it's in the title. It kind of gives you an idea of the vibe. It's it's a fantasy novel, but it's it's fairly gritty, right? It's yeah. fairly, it's got some serious themes to it. So the way that novel opened was actually kind of like a, a village being attacked and one of the main characters flees from the village as her family is murdered by the evil bad guy, forces the evil bad guys. And then, like, that's chapter one is her getting away. And there's, there's several scenes of this developing, like, there is a big threat in the world. And then it goes to the main character, who's actually kind of like the, the, the trope of the young guy who who is living his life. And then he gets, you know. He gets, gets dragged into gets dragged the crazy. Into the, I mean, yeah. it's very Frodo. I mean, mm-hmm. it's 
super thing. I mean, it'd been in every epic fantasy ever. Yeah. So John cuts back to this and it's just a kid and he's basically screwing around with his family and it's like, he's trying to find his missing pants, right? Yeah, and, I remember this. But it was just kind of like this little like lighthearted thing and because he just had this like moments of darkness and terror and then this guy, as this chapter goes on, then this guy gets embroiled into the world. Like he goes to do something in town and he gets sucked into this, right? Okay, when the editor got this, hmm. he wanted to change it. Yes, he did. For whatever bizarre reason. So even though originally John had told people what the promise of the book was, the editor then took what had originally been chapter three with, I can't find my pants. And that became chapter one. That became chapter one. That's what the book opened. So now what happened is perfectly well written, but what happened was now the book opened with, haha, this is light, funny, family, comedy, fantasy, right? And it made, it made a very different promise to the reader than what the actual book is. And so then what happened is the readers were like, oh, okay, this is what the vibe of this book is. I will continue reading. And then, oh, wait, here's a village massacre. Whereas if you have opened the village massacre and then you back off for a moment of lightness, we've established what the level of this book is. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I talk about this one when I talk about horror pretty frequently, and that's the, how you can use horror as uh, depending on the order in which you put it, you can use it to, um, to, what's the word I'm looking for? You can use it to uh, increase the anxiousness of the characters and the readers. Uh, or you can, if you put it later, it can be an exclamation point. You can use it, um, depending on the order, if you put it really early and then you offset it with humor, it can kind of cut that tension a little bit. And what was sucky about that is instead of showing instead of showing the horror up front and, and having the readers understand what darkness was already out there, if if that's first, it show when when they do show the, the comedy, when they do show the lightness, instead of the the readers going, ah ha, ha that's adorable, they go, Aw dang. This dude's in for a world of hurt. It 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 sets up this anticipation, this yeah. dread. This poor farm kid is... He's is, hosed. He's going on an adventure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but if you... Yeah. So, guys, the, one of the big things beyond the hook is vibe. Yeah. Flavor. Tone. And that's why gritty cop shows open with the murder or they open with the, the crime scene. Yeah. Well, think about Servants of War, okay? And, oh. and, and we've talked about this oh, a number geez, of times, yeah. okay? So, chapter one initially was Kristoff's opening chapter. Yes, yeah, so this is a perfect example of why we... Kristoff, yeah. um, and, and if and you guys have... Hopefully, you've all read this book. If you haven't, um, you know, how dare you? Um, At this point, 80-something episodes in, I really would hope you geez, guys would listen to the book. Um, it's really good. Uh, so, Kristoff's opening chapter is, is effectively him doing some very secret police reconnaissance and torture. Yeah, he's bad. He's it's, a bad dude. It's a really dark, dark scene. Um, and, and the initial draft of it was actually darker than the one that, that you guys are reading. Uh, but, and, and then chapter two was Alarian's opening chapter, which is, which is the village massacre for us. Okay. Now, as it stood, I, I still think that it, it would have been fine either way, but perhaps if we would have led with Kristoff it would have validated some of the, the people who said the story was too dark, or it might've made a promise to, to people who wanted that, that, that we actually didn't fulfill. 
Instead, we led with Alarian. And and here's what I like. The opening line is, do you believe in fate, Alarian? Which became a recurring theme. Which became theme. the recurring theme. One, it's a good line and it's a good hook from a psychological perspective. Yeah, and it's used in the book like five or six times. And every time, and every time we use it, it builds the tension a little bit more yep. to the point where it's almost become like a meme amongst some of our fans where they're like, oh, dang, not again. <laughs> they're like, yeah, things are just, things are about to get really bad because they set the line. Yeah. Um, and well, and, and now I know that, that when, you know, when, I, when I'm writing book two, I have to put that in and it has to matter. It has to matter. We can't throw it away. Yeah. Well, basically the point where somebody, if somebody randomly says, do you believe in fate, Elarian, in a conversation, he's going to go immediately get into his giant robot suit. Yeah. And they start loading the guns. It's like, screw this. I'm out. <laughs> Look, I'm, looking, I'm looking around for ravens. But instead, so instead of opening with crazy secret police torture scene, we open with, with Alarian, who is a person that, that I think a lot of people can relate to. He's a more human subject. And that opening chapter is him as a human subject losing everything. And I think that that's a much more human relatable experience than seeing a secret policeman and torture someone. This is the difference between... Um, dark epic fantasy and grim dark. Plus, we put a little cushion before we get to Kristoff. Yeah, and so that way people know that hey, there are actually you know there are actually heroes in this world mm-hmm. because also one part of the thing when I was editing is like um, I, I, it's a little too grim and nihilistic out the yes. gate. That's it. You know what I mean? And so once again, it's that vibe thing, guys. So I'm thinking after so that's one one book, but after the. After the break, let's come back and let's talk about some other ones. Yeah. Do's and don'ts and, and then things we learned. And things, like, like things we were shooting for in different books. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Uh, we'll be right back. Hello, Word Mercenaries. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., host of the Novel Marketing Podcast, here to bring you Book Marketing Commandment number 7. Thou shalt weigh thine options before investing in marketing. Every successful author spends money on marketing. Even traditionally published authors spend money on websites, travel, conferences, and email newsletters. If you ask yourself if buying a billboard will help you sell more books, the answer is almost always yes. Sure, most marketing tactics will help sell at least one book, and most of them are a waste of money. So it's better to ask, will this help me sell more books than the next best alternative? The more promotion options you know about, the more strategically you can spend your money. This is why it's a good idea to listen to podcasts like Novel Marketing. The more you know about book marketing, the less time and money you'll waste, and the more time you'll have to, you know, write your book. So subscribe to Novel Marketing today at NovelMarketing.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. Okay. At the tail end of this episode, or of the tail end of the first half of the episode, we, we talked a little bit about Servants of War uh, and, and kind of what our goals were and, and why we had actually ended up switching the order of the opening chapters because of the goals we had. So I thought what we would do, since a lot of our reader or a lot of our listeners have, um, have read our, our, some of our opening books, or um, this will give them a very... Uh, a very relatable experience to to go do. So if, if you haven't read some of these books, we will now tell you what our goals were so that when you go buy them and read them, you'll understand this a little bit better, okay? Okay, so I want to start, Larry, with Monster Hunter, okay? okay. So let's start with Monster Hunter International. Again, okay. my favorite opening of anything you've ever written. And it's initially, before we even met, this is this is how I knew I was going to be a fan of yours. 
I struck gold on that chapter, and I actually owe, like I said, I owe a lot to my career to the success of this first chapter, especially the opening lines. The opening line on this one is, well, for me anyway, and I don't, and I don't say this lightly, and I'm not saying this because you're my friend. Blah 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 blah. Um, I, I think it's a perfect opening line. It really, it, because it, okay, so it's on one otherwise normal Tuesday evening. I had the chance to live the American dream through my incompetent jackass of a boss out of a 14-story window. Okay. So that's the opening line. What does that do? First off. One, it makes you laugh. It's funny. It's like, ha everyone wants to do that. It's action. It's, it's action. It establishes, oh, things happen this in this is, book. This is an action book. This is not a navel gazing book. No. And then it's like, well, why? And that's the, and that's the exact right question. Why did you throw your boss why? out? The, why did you throw your boss out a 14 story window? And suddenly- we're in a we're in a werewolf fight. Yeah, and so I do have a, I do have a, like a, a page uh, or two of establishing who the guy is, Owen, the main character. He's an accountant, which is why I liked him. And there, there's also some clues that he's not a normal accountant as it yes. goes on. Um, he's a rather tough dude, and then it turns into a hyper violent uh, werewolf brawl. Yeah, where where the guy's boss turns into a werewolf right in front of him, and it's it basically also is kind of psychotic before that. And it is, that first chapter is violence. It is a violent fight scene. And I cranked the knob up to 10 and it's just a dude, an accountant in his office fighting a werewolf hand to hand and he should just die, but he don't. Yeah. He refuses to die and he's fighting this werewolf to the death. And they are hitting each other with office furniture. He gets put through the ceiling and he gets put through the wall. Uh, he, I mean, he, he like winds up at one point choking a werewolf. Stabs it repeatedly with everything you could think of, uh, and it's just this crazy fight. And, it's a cra- and the thing is, it was my very first thing I ever wrote, I I struck gold because what did that scene do? For opening lines made you wonder why, what's going on? This is a curious situation. And, I'm going to follow along. And and to be clear here, um, not every, not everyone is going to have that first line that is just. Pure solid freaking gold. I've had some other good ones, but that's still the one that like that's it that nailed like, that nailed the, the series for me. And it's funny because um, that's my first book. And but but you know, it, look, it set the tone for that for that that book, that chapter, and frankly, that series. I would say honestly, this is going to be a little weird, but I think the most important first line is your first line of the first book in the series. Yeah. Because after that, if they're buying the second book in the series, that means they've given you a chance. And then it's not as important to grab that immediately, grab them by the neck right out the gate, because they're at least giving you a chance. No, at that point, it's, when you're, when you're in the sequels, at that point, it's something something that lets the reader know that you're back. Right. Right, exactly. It's oh, so so like I already I already know I've been I've been pondering on the first line to instruments of violence for like 2 months. <laughs> um and and I know what it is. I'm not going to say it because I really like the line. Um and and it it's perfect for Hilarion because the opening scene is Hilarion because the first this the opening scene in the first book was Hilarion, so the opening scene in the second book dang well better be Hilarion and it's going to show it's going to put you right in his seat of what he's doing right then. Yep. Uh, and that's important because it's, it's the announcement. It's, it's, yeah, look, it's been a minute, but we're back. Yeah. And, you know, buckle in. Yeah. And also too, it's a first series, first book, most important line, as far as the line, second series, at that point you've established your name, you'll get a little more leeway. You still need to hook them fast, but you don't need to hook them as violently as you do in that first one. Yeah. 
Uh, so by first chapter, Monster Hunter establishes a hyper-violent, explodey adventure monster book. Yep. And then if they read that mission first chapter, mission accomplished, they're falling. Okay, so Hard Magic, my second series. It opens... Um, it opens with a, a police raid is about to go down. And I, I start with nervous energy. And I establish the nervous energy because the person they're trying to take down apparently has superpowers. And that's just established in a police movie. So I haven't told you anything yet uh, about the world, except they're going to go bust a criminal who has superpowers. Right, the way and the way they're describing it, and then it goes over to the guy who's like the outside specialist they brought in, who apparently also has superpowers, and it's just this nervous exchange between them. And the, and I also established this guy's kind of a hard boiled detective kind of character, and he's an ex con with a reputation for violence that makes the cops nervous. So right there in that one little bit, in that first couple opening paragraphs, people are like, oh. Okay, this is interesting. This is clearly a 1930s vibe noir kind of thing. But they're talking about really superpowered people. Yeah. See, that's actually chapter one. So that, that book, to be fair, though, actually has a prologue. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm, Pro- I'm, prologues are different. Yeah, so I'm screwing you know. this up here. You know, yeah. really, because- Because prologue prologue's the Dust Bowl, right? Uh, so the, yeah, so the prologue is actually uh, is the Dust Bowl, uh, which is some of the best writing I've ever done. But once again, it establishes as a magical world. It it starts out as like this is the 1930s Great Depression, Grapes of Wrath kind of vibe. Well, it, it, it it highlights the desperation of people in desperate times. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, a peri- which is a period piece basically, and it's about a dairy farmer, mm-hmm. uh, and, a, and a and a Model T full of Okies pulls up, which a Model T at that point was already a really old car. Yeah, uh, and and then all of a sudden though, there's teleportation. Yep. Yeah, and it's, and it's a tell, and it's like everybody's like, wait, wait, what? You know, so there's these little things. So that was how I did hard magic. I was like little clues to the world. No, there wasn't beating anybody over the head with world building. Yep, and, was, and, and and I think that that's that's what's important. Now, when when I saw this uh, initial this initial initial question in, in Chris Rocchio's group, what the guy said was. He was he was confused because he had he had some ideas for scenes for characters and stuff, but um, I, I think he was talking about like it, it was something about a person was being held prisoner on a train, so it was kind of a train high slash rescue. I'm like, well, that sounds fun. Yeah, that sounds great. great. But he started talking about how how um, the difficulty he was having was because some of the people that were uh, the, the main characters from from which the POV was told. They were looking and trying to figure out how they should be going about the the train, and they were studying where the train was going. And did, no, and I'm like, no, 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 no don't do that. And I, and I said, I said, here's what I think. I said, of course, this is my opinion. I said, I don't care how they got the plan. Yeah, I, I, at this point, I don't care about that. No, I I care about action on a train. Yeah, what's the stakes here? Exactly, you know? and that's exactly what I said. Um, I said, you know, start faster. Start yeah. faster. Nobody wants to start with a planning meeting. Well, I mean, I just said hard magic I did, but it wasn't about the planning meeting. It was about the tension. Yes. Did, so, so I guess all the train heist would be more like starting it at the immediate, like we're at the station boarding. Think, Stuff's about to go down. Yeah, think, think about short stories, okay? Um, when we talk about the, the writing of short stories and getting into the story, um, we use the old filmmaker's adage, right? Which is... Um, Enter late, leave early, mm-hmm. right? 
first, first chapters are no different. Okay. I don't need to know the history of the world. Nope. I don't need a prologue that tells me the history of the world. Nope. I, I care about, I care about what's happening right now, right in front of me with who or whom, whatever the grammar, grammatically correct version of that is. Do you remember the beginning of Dead Six? I don't actually. Okay, it's the most abrupt beginning of any of my books in that it opens with a helicopter and all the guys riding in the helicopter getting shot down and crashing into an empty swimming pool at an abandoned resort in Mexico during a narco-traficante revolution. I do remember this now. And so it actually opens with one of the one of the two main characters coming to in this sideways crashed helicopter with with what he perceives as an angel above him shaking him awake. Right. And uh, that's how the book opens. And so it immediately plunges into plunges you into this crazy How well, did you wind up upside down in a swimming pool in a helicopter? Yeah, you So the reader is asking questions of why? How? While at the same time they're getting the thematic elements that you want them to understand that this is what this book is. Yeah. This book is military action. This, it's a military thriller. This is a gunfight, helicopter crashing book. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's once again, it's giving you a promise. It's giving you a hook, giving you a vibe. Honestly, guys, it, that's the main keys. Like, like, but if I was doing the, if I was writing the train heist book, I wouldn't start with the planning. I would start with either, what, like, once again, it comes out the point of view character. Whoever's got the best view or whoever the main character who is the guy that we need to establish, like, that vibe. Yeah. Where, where are the most stakes at within that scene? I would be starting him, like, get, like the train is pulling in and he's boarding, he's checking his watch, you know, like, like, five minutes to execute or whatever. Yeah. You know? Well, and in, in, uh, one of the suggestions I, I gave in, in this little thread was, was someone saying, look, like, the opening line is something to the effect of, if we don't get this right within two minutes, he's dead. Yeah. And so from there, there's a couple different um, uh, writer and, and slash filmmaking um, concepts here. One, again, enter late. You've established the, the literary version of the time bomb. Something is going to happen within a short amount of time. And so your, your, your anticipation is there. You're, you're feeling the stress of the situation, hopefully, with the characters. What, what does this do? It gives you immediate stakes. It gives you an immediate connection to characters because you're like, okay, well, I'm right there with them. They better get this freaking thing right. Um, you, you know, and, and, and if, you can, if you can work in, if it's a complete grimdark type story, that attitude has to be there. If it's, if it's a little bit more lighthearted, then, then, then maybe you're you know, some of the people are, are cracking a joke here and there within there. So, so that your reader understands what kind of tone they're going for. There was a book and I can't remember who it was. And I just was used as an example in a class where I think it was John Brown actually at, at, uh, at a con was using example of like good first opening chapters and he used Monster Hunter in it. And, uh, but one of the other ones was from a mystery writer and it was a girl got pulled over in her car or got pulled over in her, in her, in her truck. And it was like a pickup truck for a gardening company. And the cop comes up and he's like, Hey Sally, how, you're doing 49 and a 40 and talking to her. And her whole thing was like, please don't look in the back of the truck where the bodies are. Yeah. <laughs> and she was just thinking, and she's just like having this nice conversation with this local cop that she knows 
but, but, you know, don't look in the back, don't look under the tarp in the back of the gardening truck, you know? Um, there, there are certain things like that that just grab you. Do you remember, it wasn't the first Tombs and Santos story, but we did the second one where, where, where Santos oh, was where digging the koi pond. Where he's digging the pond? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So guys, if, this is an obscure story that me and Steve did a long time ago. Back well, when Steve was- If you're a Ryder Dojo supporter, you got this story. Yeah. It's, as one of our perks. Yeah. There you go. So many, many years ago, we did the story and it opens up with this guy who's Santos, who at this point, you don't know anything about Santos, really, unless you read the first one, yeah. except he's a Marine and he's, it's late at night and he's working in his abuelita, his grandma's backyard, digging her a koi pond because she always wanted a koi pond. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's just digging this hole and he's got like the little koi pond insert to, to throw in there. And it's just this little innocuous thing. But then he goes to, and opens the trunk of his car and pulls out a tied up guy mm-hmm. and throws him in the hole and starts to interrogate him about demons. Yeah. You know, and then, and then he's like, talk about how he, oh, his, and his grandma had just brought him tamales, tamales. before this. And then yeah. it, he waited till grandma left and before he opened the trunk of the car to throw the, the guy's body in. He's like, it, oh yeah, I'll be right there. I'll be right there. I'll be right there. And then he's all like, he's interrogating the guy about demons. And then he's like, he's like, he's like, oh yeah, I got to cut this dude's head off. Cause I, I, I don't know how it works with these guys. And I don't want his like undead corpse coming back to haunt my abuelita's koi pond. <laughs> So he chops the dude's head off with a shovel and then buries him and then puts the koi pond insert on top of the way too deep hole that he dug yeah. in grandma's backyard. It, it's all about, it's all about the kind of the promises that you're making in terms of, you know, genre, character, theme, all of that stuff. So residue. Okay. The opening scene is actually a scene from Alex's point of view. And it's her chasing down something or finding the aftermath of something that, that got loose from a facility. So automatically you're thinking, oh, well, there's some action-y stuff here. There's weird supernatural creatures. Um, this girl is fairly tough and she's, you know, have gun, will travel. Um, so I've kind of set the stage there. Now, chapter two, it's the first Jack chapter and it opens with your, your father's been kidnapped. Your father's missing. So right away within both these opening scenes, you're st- I'm establishing exactly what kind of things I want you to feel when it's per character, okay? When, it, when it's an Alex chapter, I want you to understand that this is about efficiency and shoot first and maybe ask questions later if you get around to it. With it when it's Jack, it's all very personal. Because he's, he's a novice in this world. He's a new guy in this world. He doesn't understand how things go. He's the one you can explore stuff through because it's... It, he's he, the relatable one. He's the one who has to have stuff explained to him. Yeah. So it's a chance for the readers to learn what's going on. And yet through, through both these characters, I give you the idea. It's like, okay, supernaturally stuff, thrillery stuff. Okay, it's a supernatural thriller. Uh, and, and I introduce a little bit more lighthearted stuff, especially from Jack's point of view, because that's his personality. Now, so, so again, what we keep coming back to when it comes to first chapters and to starting your book, you have to start fast, start fast. Um, from I'm, all of the books that I've read, remember I, I used to review books, thousands of them. And if that opening chapter didn't hook me. It wasn't reviewed. I just, I just put it aside. The only people who can get away with a lackadaisical opening 
are people or authors who have already established street cred with the audience and that you're going to be oh, like, I know you're a huge Steven Erickson fan. Right, right. So for most people who don't know Steve Erickson, when you- His books are really slow Yeah, so start. when you start, it's like I have, and you're confused. Like I have no idea who any of these people are or what's going on or what they're talking about. But- That's the entire first book. Yeah, but for people who are into that, you know, he gets a pass yeah, on that. he really does. So it's kind of, it's going to depend, like also in genre, it's going to be, when I, we say start with a bang- Obviously, if I'm writing cozy mysteries or romance, I'm not crashing the helicopter into the pool. No, 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 no. You're, you're again. You're making, you're making very specific promises to your readers, um, depending on the genre that you're writing. I saw one once as a little while ago. I can't remember who it was. And somebody I liked too, but they were doing like their list of like slush, slush reading opening sins. Like never do this. Like don't open. I, I can't remember who it was, but it's somebody I respect too. But one of them was never open a book with a dream sequence. Oh. And they said, son of the black sword, (laughs) my most academically and critically acclaimed book ever and my series and the one that's actually won all the awards and been nominated for all the awards opens with a dream sequence. But it's only brief. It's just a flash of, of, just a flash of, of, the thing is it's an image of a little kid trying to scrub blood off a floor. Which once again, that starts to ask, it's, 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 it's like, and then, and then he wakes up and it's like this badass warrior wakes right. up in a tent in the jungle with, a, with warriors outside. Like, like we need you to come kill the demon. The demon is, is eating everyone in the village. And so that's the opening because, so yes, I did open with a dream, but if, if you've read Son of the Black Sword, you know, that is actually really important. And that imagery is something that comes back to haunt the whole like well, yeah. what the whole book is about. Yeah. I, I think it's the whole point of your first chapter is to hook someone and to leave an impression on them. Yeah. An impression that's so deep and so cool that the first thing they want to do is read chapters two, three, and four that night, even though it's already 1 a.m. Yeah. And then I had Ashok go sword fight a pair of demons, you, well, know, you know, so yeah. Sword fighting demons is always a good hook. Yeah. And so right. it was a good hook, but it's just, it was funny because it was like the sins, never do this. And I'm like, uh. yeah. once again, guys, remember there's no hard and fast rules in this business because if you yeah. make it awesome, it works. The, oh, only yeah. rule I mean, is, the only rule is don't suck at don't it. Don't suck at it. <laughs> I mean, like I said, for every hard and fast rule that somebody has given us, we have examples to do that. That said, guys, Son of the Black Sword was not my first novel. No. I had a lot of practice, so I know what I was doing. And so maybe maybe don't start your book with a dream sequence unless you've got like a really good reason for it. I think the biggest thing, one of the biggest dangers in in first chapters or first scenes, let's call it, because your first chapter could be, you know, prologue or an actual real. Yeah, basically what's the first thing one. the reader's going to read. Um, you know, and, and for me, especially, gosh... It, depending on the type of book you're reading, it, it really can be two chapters that you, that you have because you have two different characters. So you have to hook them twice. That's true. Um, if your second character is boring, you might still lose him if the first one wasn't sufficient. Honestly, this is why I stopped reading the book Tigana by Guy Gabriel K. Um, it, some of the characters, I just didn't care. They yeah. didn't hook me. Yeah. But, um, I think that there's an, in an, a danger and you alluded to this earlier there's a danger with authors wanting to show off this cool world that they've imagined, especially in science fiction yeah, and fantasy. 
And so they have these really neat ideas or, you know, they're doing urban fantasy and they're like, this is how it's different. And so they flood you with, with world building within the first couple chapters. Yeah. Gentle guys. Um, less is more on this. Like I, I don't need to know. I don't need to know how everything works. Yeah. No, you don't need to hit him over the head with a bat. Um, no. pillow yeah. pillows guys. Yeah. Like I said, like when I was doing hard magic, I teased it. All of a sudden there's teleportation. Uh, and the prologue, all of a sudden there's a dude who controls gravity. All of a sudden there's a, there's a dude who is a healer and a, and someone who can curse people. And, you know, it, it's all this, like, like little bits. And it's enough for people like, oh, okay, this is clearly our world, but different. And the thing is, I got the whole next 350, 400 pages to world build. You've got so much, I mean, you know, looking at hard magic, right? Um, you, you cheated yeah. in hard magic. Oh, it's got a glossary. It, one, it has a glossary and you have chapter, chapter bumps. bumps. Yep. Um, epigrams or whatever the frick they call it is I the official know, term. I call them chapter bumps. They're chapter bumps. I had news news articles from yeah. around the world at the time it's, and it's history cheat. books. You know, it's a cheat way yeah. so that you don't have to spend narrative energy describing random crap in the world. No, and a lot of times the stuff that was in the chapter bumps didn't even have anything to do with the chapter. Right, it was just one. Well, in fact, that's what chapter, I forgot about that chapter one, so I had the prologue, but the chapter one actually had the quote from, I think it was Charles Darwin, where I took a real life, and I, everything I took was a real life quote, and I twisted it mm-hmm. for, you know, about this world. And it was about how the science of magic, yeah. you know? And as another thing too, is we, I hung that, it was like, right the gate, it's like, this is a book, of, once again, the title, Hard Magic. It's basically, it's like, it's, we're going to treat it like, magic exists, but we're going to treat it with science, but it's the 1930s science. Yeah, 1930s crazy science. Yeah, exactly. And so it's about, it's about making a promise that, that gets the readers interested. Like, if I keep reading, this promise will be fulfilled. So I, I read a short story for someone uh, a couple months ago, uh, about a month and a half ago, it depends on when this airs, and... Uh, I did it for pay, which was the first time I'd done that in quite a while. And uh, the story was was interesting, but it took like 20% of the story, of the short story, for me to understand what it was even about. Um, the person, this this author, he started with a with a bang, literally, um, you know, gunshots and stuff, which which is a, is a good way to, to get people, you know, there's action, something's going on. But then the story kind of meandered around and, and I just didn't know what it was about. And, and the goodness of that story was buried under details that at that moment in time were irrelevant. Yeah. So, so for, a, for a first chapter, why are you bogging me down explaining everything? There's plenty you have, if, if it's a, if it's a standard length novel, adult novel, it's 100 to 120,000 words. You have 100 to 125,000 words, whatever, to pepper that in, to, to drip feed that to me when it's relevant to the story, when it has impact. All those details, what could be a really cool, I mean, you know, the explanation of how um, the different types of magic actually intersect within hard magic. That's a really cool detail. It's, not, it's not really interesting. One. Not for page one. No. It's interesting after people's expectations have been led down a specific road 
And it's interesting when all of a sudden one of your main characters starts bending the rules a little bit. And then the reader goes, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, oh, okay. I see what's going on now. Yep. That's when it's interesting. Just like, just like the, the, the magic within uh, Servants of War, you know, um, he doesn't need to, Alarian does not need to understand how the magic works. No. His job is to one, clear debris in front of a, of a giant object so that it doesn't trip over and die. That's his job. All the magic doesn't matter if he doesn't do that job and then gets executed. But then later, as we start drip feeding, what this magic actually is and how it's starting to work. And little by little, he's understanding how it's supposed to work or how he thinks it's supposed to work, I guess I should say. That's when, that's when it starts mattering. All those details, they don't matter in chapter one. They don't matter. They matter when you strategically use them as weapons to, to, to further set that hook. Yeah. Use enough of those to, to let people know what you're promising them. Yeah. But that's it. Mm-hmm. And then draw them in to get the rest. It's like historical fiction. Okay. Historical fiction, one of the biggest gripes that everyone, including myself and you, have with historical fiction is so often the author wants to show you how much research they did and how historically accurate their book is. And that's often boring and painful. It's freaking boring. And then there's Bernard Cornwell in the Saxon Tales, where he's like, yeah, this is a book about Vikings and Saxons and stuff. And yeah, it, I mean, there's historical accuracies here, but I don't care. Do you want to see guys murder each other? Yeah. Yeah, I totally do. We're in. Do you want to, do you want to see a shield wall? I totally want to see a shield wall. Let's do it. Yep. Um, you know, do you want to see this guy's dad get killed and then he gets raised by Vikings? That sounds rad. Let's do it. I don't care about his history right now. Like it's, it's interesting only insofar as it matters to the, to the audience. Absolutely. So anyway, so hopefully that makes sense, uh, in terms of what, what we do with our first chapters and why we wrote them the way that we did and how we, you know, further go on to write them. So, um, Hopefully that answers your question, Jason. I know that was that you know, was one heck of a that was Q&A that was a answer. great that was a great Q and A. That was very personalized to you um, for forty five minutes. Yeah, and then uh, you know if if the the list if the guy from the from Chris Rocchio's group happens to be listening to this, um, hey, you know I, I hope that this was a, a little bit bigger understanding of of what I commented to you in response. Um, so anyway. That's it. That's all the time we have for you today. Uh, if you have any other questions about this sort of thing or you want to hear a little bit more or you need a, um, a little bit deeper explanation on one certain aspect within this, you know, shoot us an email. We'll answer the questions. Uh, if you're a supporter, we'll answer the questions even faster. Uh, and look, we appreciate all you guys listening to us. Thank you so much. Once again, we're the Writer Dojo, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo Steve Diamond and Larry Korea. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nigel. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writer dojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. 
All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. This is how it's different.